Hey, sunny and Seattle friends, just dropping in to say hi and let you know that for the rest of August, while I'm on my road trip adventure in some more remote areas of Wyoming and Montana, we'll be airing several rebroadcasts of guests I was most honored to interview, like Neil Donald Walsh, Anita Morjani, and Martha Beck. These are oldies but goodies. Hope you enjoy them, and I'll see you again live in September. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. Coming up on today's show, Sunny will be speaking with internationally acclaimed life coach and New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Martha Beck. They'll be discussing her newest book, Diana Herself, An Allegory of Awakening. Join us for a fun show filled with magic and bewilderment. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And welcome, everybody. Happy Friday. You're listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney-turned-life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan. We're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. here on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers. Basically, anybody who is on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And you can always access the show archives if you can't catch it live, and that's at 1150kknw.com. You can also find out more about me, connect with me for coaching through my website, which is www.goldenoversoul.com. And come see me for coaching at my office in the U District or at East West Bookshop on Thursdays from 10.30 a.m. until 3 p.m. And we are still in the middle of our Bewilderment Book Club, um, and that's the book we're going to be discussing today on the show. Um, we will be going into week three next week. Um, it will end on June 29th. We meet on Wednesdays from 7 to 8.30 p.m. at East West Bookshop. And no worries if you don't have the book yet, you haven't read it yet. We had a couple of drop-ins this past week, and we do a lot of coaching as well as discussing the book. So basically, we'll meet you where you are. Come join us if it sounds appealing to you. And you can find out more by going to uh, East West Book shop.com or calling the bookstore and we have a guest producer today sarah as benny is out on um one of gosh a very rare break that he ever takes very rare yeah <laughs> so thank you for being here sarah, of course i'm excited to be here <laughs> <laughs> yeah and as you guys can probably tell i am whizzing through housekeeping because i'm over the moon excited about my guest today on sunny in seattle you guys who are regular listeners know that i am a martha beck life coach many of my guests are martha beck life coaches and master coaches and when I'm not talking to a Martha Beck life coach, I'm quoting Martha or referencing her work. Um, but what you guys may not know is the real reason why I probably seem a little bit obsessed with this. Um, my longtime listeners know that once upon a time I was an attorney. I was married to a wildly successful Aaron Brockovich-style attorney. We were living in Texas, um, and my life looked damn near perfect, I think, by our culture's standards anyway. Um, but there was always a voice deep inside that said that I was meant for something different, that this it, it just wasn't my right life. I didn't know what to do with that inner voice, though. And I would say, until that is, I found Martha's work. Um, it, maybe it would be more accurate to say her work found me. Uh, and through her writing, I finally found that magical mentor that Joseph Campbell talks about in The Hero's Journey, um, the person who... You know, when I was terrified of following the call to adventure, of leaving that entire life behind, um, it was the person who could light the path toward my soul's purpose and offer guidance and reassurance. And Martha's transformative impact just really continued. I attended a workshop at a ranch, uh, ended up enrolling in life coach training with her, um, and then just recently started her master coach training program. So now you guys know why we spend so much time here on Sunny in Seattle talking Martha Beck. 
Um, and, you know, after all this incredible talk about this wonderful woman, we have the real deal with us today. That's right, folks. My guest is none other than the Martha Beck. I imagine most of you know Martha and her work. Um, and I know you guys are tuning in to hear her and ready to get her on the show. But I'll quickly read her full bio just so you guys can hear a little bit more and maybe you'll learn something new. Um, Dr. Martha Beck is a life coach and the New York Times bestselling author of several popular resources for finding your life purpose. And I personally recommend each and every one of these books, um, such as Finding Your Own North Star, Steering by Starlight, Finding Your Way in a Wild New World, The Joy Diet, and more. She's also the author of the best-selling memoirs, Expecting Adam and Leaving the Saints. Beck's latest book, which we'll be discussing today, is Diana Herself, An Allegory of Awakening. This is her first foray into fiction and is the first installment of her Bewilderment Chronicles series. Uh, Martha Beck has been called one of the best-known life coaches in America by both NPR and USA Today. She has appeared on The Oprah Show, as well as Good Morning America, and many other regional news programs. She has delivered seminars and workshops globally and has implemented her life coaching strategies into corporate settings ranging from small businesses to Fortune 100 firms. Since 2001, Dr. Beck has been a columnist for O, the Oprah Magazine. She has also written for many other publications, such as the New York Times Book Review, Good Housekeeping, Parenting Magazine, Reader's Digest, and Chicken Soup for the Parents Sold. Dr. Beck holds three, count them three, Harvard degrees, a BA in East Asian Studies, and a master's and PhD degrees in sociology. While at Harvard, she taught courses in social sciences and visual studies and received a Danforth Award as one of the university's top teaching fellows. She also taught business and career development at the American Graduate School of International Management before becoming a writer and a life coach. And when not writing or coaching, Martha enjoys painting, tracking bears, mountain lions, turkeys, and I, if you've read the book, probably the occasional wild boar, on her ranch, and uh, covering herself with birdseed while meditating in her garden. She lives with her family on California's central coast. Um, you can find out more about her at her website, which is marthabeck.com. Email her at info at marthabeck.com and get a copy of this amazing book, Diana Herself, An Allegory of Awakening, um, at amazon.com. And she did start her own publishing house to get this book out into the world, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. So that's why I would recommend going to Amazon for that book. And you guys are lucky. We're giving away a copy of the book today. And it is, uh, it is a beautiful hardcover book. The artwork on the front cover was painted by none other than Martha herself. We'll be announcing that giveaway later on in the show. Um, if you'd like to join our conversation um, today, Martha will be taking callers, and we'll talk about the book for a little while first, but if you guys have a question, uh, give us a call at 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-5569. And I will announce the giveaway later in the show, but you guys can take down that number so you can get in line and hopefully be the lucky winner of this amazing book. So without further ado, Martha Beck, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Wow, I feel like I'm like... I'm old enough to die now. Thank you for all that. Yeah, and if, before we start, I just have to throw in, if you're okay with it, I just want to read Liz Gilbert's testimonial on the book. I just thought that was so Talking wonderful. my feelings. Okay, awesome. Here we go. Guys, this is Liz Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love. I'm sure you guys have read it. If you haven't read it, I know everyone has heard of it in the world. And so here's what Liz Gilbert had to say about Diana herself, Martha's newest book. This book is everything. It's a romp, a fable, a myth, an inspiration, a teachable moment, a true hero's journey, a cautionary tale, and a fairy tale 
for an entirely new, or rather ancient, species of fairies. It's rare that so much wisdom can be found wrapped into such comedy, such kindness, such lightness of touch. It's a perfect book. I want every woman I know to read it. This is storytelling at its best, and also at its most important. So, you guys, <laughs> go get a copy, and I'm sure you'll want to after you hear the show today. Um, so, what wh- was that woman smoking? <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet of her. I adore her. Yeah, well, we were so excited to see that come out and not surprised at all. Um, but, you know, <laughs> so I just want to start by asking, you know, you've had an incredibly successful career as a coach and best-selling nonfiction <laughs> and self-help author. Um, and up until several years ago, you were living in Arizona. So how mm-hmm. exactly did you end up on a ranch in California with a fantasy fiction novel and your own boutique publishing company? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You told me I can get as woo-woo as I want on Absolutely. this Absolutely. We encourage it so, here. <laughs> I got to tell you, I went to, uh, I flew to California in my, I think my late 20s, early 30s, got off the plane in LA and I felt the air and I thought, oh, I'm going to live in California someday. And the next morning, I woke up in somebody else's house. But before I opened my eyes, I could see that I was on a ranch, uh, some sort of a farm. Like, I could see it. I knew that when I opened my eyes, I would look straight out a big glass wall and see a green pasture with a black horse standing in it and mountains behind it. I mean, it was just obvious that's where I was. And I opened my eyes, and I was in someone's apartment. And I was like, what? Wait, what? And this began happening every few months I'd wake up and I'd know that I was on this ranch and then I'd open my eyes and I wasn't I never even visited a ranch in California so it went on for decades and then it started to happen a lot and I started to know more and more details about this property and it was it was like it wasn't a dream it was like a dream but I had such a sense of connection mm-hmm. to this place that I finally thought and I was going to Africa to do the seminars I do there and I, I came out of the African wilderness one year, and I was in Johannesburg, and I just said, I can't do this. I cannot live in a city anymore. I have to be in nature. So I went back, and I started shop- shopping for ranches on the California coast uh, on the Internet. <laughs> kind of like impulse purchasing on the Internet. Found this property that because I knew what it had on it. I'd seen it over and over, so I just Googled you know, a ranch that has all these particular facilities, this number of residences, this kind of a barn, this kind of... And there was only one ranch that fit all the criteria. And I went to it, and it was the ranch I'd been seeing for like 30 years. And it cost exactly all my money. (laughs) (laughs) So at the age of 50, I spent all my money. This is not a wise retirement plan, folks. (laughs) I spent all my money on this basically a patch of old growth forest it's at the edge of a national park and so really my backyard is 2700 square miles of untouched wilderness and i got there and it was like falling in love with a person Mm. and that's as close as i can tell you to why i mean i've always just followed these intense irrational magnetic impulses that arise in me and it's kind of my whole life. I always d- describe it as like being like a compass mm-hmm. in my self-help books. And it pulls t- toward true north. And I just try to go with it. So that's where I am. Yeah. So And, and I wanted to write a book about it, so I did. Well, so and tell <laughs> us a little bit. You know, I've, I've heard you talk about this, and I'm just um, so intrigued by some of the magic that started happening once you got to the ranch. Some of the oh, things. Yeah. Uh, do you mind sharing a little bit about what... 
because I've, I've heard you say that you didn't know that you were going to write another book after finding your way in a wild new world. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was done. I was like, there are only, I only had so much self-help in me. I was, kind of, I was really bored with self-help. People would ask me, you know, what's the last self-help book you read? And I would be like, it's been years since I read a self-help book. And my daughter said, well, Mom, that's because you self-helped. <laughs> <laughs> and what, the other thing I found is that as you get your mind clearer and you're more in touch with your happiness, things start happening that are truly miraculous and, and feel magical. And it's, it's not for the, like, ooh, sensational value. It's for the, the depth of mystery that is calling to me from there. Like, it's not stuff I want to brag about at parties. I am walking into the mystery, and the world is so much more magical than I thought. Yeah. So, yeah, I got there. I found the tracks of a wild boar. I loved tracking, learned a little of it in Africa, and started tracking this boar around the property and feeling like it was playing with me. Hmm. And that's sort of how the book started forming. Yeah, and there were some other, um, there was a mention of a labyrinth, perhaps? And yeah, I we I have a master coach who specializes, you, as you know, master coaches all have their own unique thing. So whatever you love goes into your coaching, and one of hers is, this is Chris Brandt, she loves to make labyrinths, yeah. which are not mazes to be solved. They're patterns on the ground that you walk, and it's supposed to have some sort of meditative effect. And they're all over Europe and Asia. It's a common spiritual practice. So she said, I want to make a labyrinth for you. And I was like, okay. Found a spot for it. We made a labyrinth. And um, somebody gave me a call with a psychic for my birthday. And I, I got on the phone, and I'm like, I have three kids. What can you tell me about them? And he's like, I don't know about that, but you have property that wants a labyrinth <laughs> on it. And I was like, uh, we're making that right now. And he said, seriously? He's like, I thought that had to be a metaphor. And I was like, no, no, that's what's happening. So people go out and walk the labyrinth as a meditative practice. And over the first few months that it was out there, three different people came back and said that they'd seen on this, this huge oak that overhangs the labyrinth, they had looked up and seen a woman, a brown-skinned woman with bare feet, just sitting there dangling her feet on the branch and just watching them. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the same one. <laughs> they, they All three people who didn't know each other described the same thing, and I was like, hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the woman started, I felt like this being was following me around, and then the animals were connecting with me, and a story just started to form itself in my mind and I realized it was helping me move forward from the position I was in into deeper levels of joy and self-realization and an understanding of the magic of the universe. Wow. And that became the book. Oh, I'm so glad it did. (laughs) And (laughs) so the subtitle is An Allegory of Awakening. And I'm curious about the term awakening, you know, awakening to what or awakening in what sense? Well, I've always, since the time I was a child, I had the sense that I was on the earth to help with something important. And it was just a vague sense of mission. There's a reason I'm here. There's something I'm supposed to help with. And as I got older and older, it started to get clearer. And when I was getting my doctorate in sociology, I was trying to figure out what it was. By then, I'd figured out it was some kind of a social change, like a change in the way people live and act and think. So I was trying to understand that. 
um, by studying sociology, and I started to think this is a major change that will have to occur in the next few years. One of its functions will be to change the way we live in the ecosystems of the world so that we can have sustainable life Mm -hmm. for ourselves. Um, And the other will be a shift to a higher form of justice, of love, um, a a world where poverty is not ubiquitous. And I, I thought, this is going to take a deep, deep transformation in the way each individual human lives. And you have to get people by the heart. Um, you can't control everyone. So, if, but if you can change their hearts, you know the gun, like gun control, becomes irrelevant if everyone's heart is open, right? Yeah. Because people could have guns; they just wouldn't use them for bad things. So, um, I came. I studied and studied, and I had done my undergraduate work in Chinese, and loved those philosophical traditions. Mm-hmm. And they have, in in Asia, they have something called awakening mm-hmm. as a spiritual process. The word Buddha means awake. It's not even a name. It just is an adjective, awake. Mm-hmm. And to be awake in Asia is to understand that we are impermanent. Uh, we are like waves on the ocean. We are things that form out of spirit for a while and then dissolve back into spirit. But so we are the waves, but the ocean is always there, and we are we are the ocean at the same time as we are the wave, mm-hmm. and that um, this fleeting mortal form is not our true identity, and therefore we don't need to fear death, and we don't need to become obsessive and attached and egoic. We don't have to make rude speeches in public. You know? <laughs> we can. <laughs> we can go into a way of being that is deeply in tune with nature, with the God force, and with each other. And they call that awakening, and most recently I realized, oh, this transformation that I've been expecting. And I can go into a room of people like at Kripalu or Omega or whatever and say, how many people identify with this? And they all raise their hand. Hmm. Ask the same thing at like a, a gathering of New York agents. They look at you like you are crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry to give a long-winded answer, but that's why I use awakening, because I think that it is time for a large proportion of humans to experience this awakening, which in the past has only happened to a very few. Yeah. And I wanted to write a book about how that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've heard you talk a lot about the new consciousness and, and transformation of consciousness and and mm-hmm. let me just preface this by saying I fully believe that's happening. I'm on board with that. However, mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of folks out there, especially you just alluded to or mentioned gun control, you know, and here we are a week out from the horrific mass shooting in Orlando. I know there are yep. a lot of folks out there who look out into the world. They're full of fear and anxiety. They see chaos. They see terror. And I'm just curious how you reconcile, you know, what's happening right now with the ushering in of this new consciousness. Um, first of all, I know I, it's like we each have to find our own path. So all my self-help stuff is about following your own North Star. Mm-hmm. I believe that everybody's destiny is as unique as their fingerprints. So, for example, when I had a son with Down syndrome, people told me, oh, this is great. You will go lobby for better rights for the, the disenfranchised and the cognitively disabled. You can speak at Congress. You can march around with signs. And I was just like, Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and this does not sound fun. Yeah. 
my way was that I found that my son took me into my mystical side, which is, you know, a common theme in all my writing. And so I wrote, and, and I love to write, so I wrote a book about the meaning of him in my life. And I was just following my own North Star, but then over the years people told me I'd done a lot for folks with disabilities, and I was just doing what felt right to me. Mm -hmm. So some people will feel motivated to lobby for this or that policy. My job is to wake up my own self so there's no war in me and there's no violence in me. Every time I see violence or ugliness in the world, let me find the corollary in myself and bring it to peace. And then I walk as a form of peace that is not afraid. And my belief is that that then connects with many, many people in, in circles that connect one to another, some of which I never, have never seen. But I like to look at Nelson Mandela, this guy who was in prison in the, one of the worst racist situations in history. Mm -hmm. And when he got out, he was in such peace with himself. He spent those 27 years working on himself, and he walked as a beacon of peace. Everyone thought there would be massive bloodshed in South Africa. And because this one man was completely at peace within himself, it was a peaceful transition away from apartheid. Mm. So everyone follows their own path. You don't know what your own greatest contribution will be, but I guarantee it's the one that brings you the most happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And then you become a fractal of that uh -huh. fractals out. Yeah. I've heard you talk about that a lot, and I love... <laughs> I love the idea of that and the vision of that. Um, yeah, and I Do people know what a fractal is? Oh, let's tell them. <laughs> if they a don't. fractal is a, it's a pattern in nature that repeats over and over in almost the same way. For example, like a fern, every leaf looks similar but isn't quite the same. Every snowflake is a, is a hexagon but it's not quite the same. So you are a fractal form of whatever it is you are. Like if you're in anguish, you're a fractal form of anguish. Yeah. And fractals repeat at larger and larger scales of measurement. So if you're fractaling violence, um, you will create a larger pool of violence around you. If you've got peace inside yourself, you create a fractal form of peace that then goes out and becomes repetitive and bigger and infinitely beautiful. Yeah. And... As I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking, why don't we go ahead? Um, I know we want to get to the content of the book. Um, why don't okay. we take our first break? When we come back, let's go ahead and dive into some of the the tasks and um, the story. And for those of you out there listening, um, don't forget that if you want to talk to Martha today, I know um, we've had some callers, but uh, the number is 888-298-5569. And don't forget about the book giveaway, which we'll be, we will be doing uh, later on in the show for a beautiful hardback cover of Diana herself, An Allegory of Awakening. I'm here today with Martha Beck. You're listening to Sunny in Seattle. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. There are more than 100 species of coffee plants, but nearly all the coffee we drink comes from just two, Arabica and Robusta. Yet it's getting harder to grow them as the climate warms. The main issues are drought and increasing temperatures. Aaron Davis is head of coffee research at the Kew Royal Botanic Gardens in the U.K., 
he's been working to identify other coffee species that taste as good as Arabica but can better grow in a warmer climate. One promising candidate is Stenophylla, a species that was once widely farmed in West Africa. We were in contact with people that had a memory from their childhood of this coffee and said it was absolutely wonderful. But when we went out and spoke to farmers, nobody had any knowledge of it. But with the help of local experts, Davis's team searched for and found Stenophylla growing in a forest in Sierra Leone. They roasted a small sample. The aroma and the fragrance of the coffee was wonderful. It actually tasted like Arabica coffee. But it can grow in temperatures up to 12 degrees warmer. So with cultivation and breeding, Stenophylla could give coffee farmers a more climate-resilient crop. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Hey, sunny and Seattle friends. Just dropping in to say hi and let you know that for the rest of August, while I'm on my road trip adventure in some more remote areas of Wyoming and Montana, we'll be airing several rebroadcasts of guests I was most honored to interview, like Neil Donald Walsh, Anita Morjani, and Martha Beck. These are oldies but goodies. Hope you enjoy them, and I'll see you again live in September. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I am here today with a very special guest, Dr. Martha Beck. We're discussing her newest book, Diana Herself, An Allegory of Awakening. And before the break, we were just talking about some of the magic that preceded her writing of this book and what's been happening out at her ranch in California. Um, So now that we're back from the break, I just think it would be fun to turn to the content in the book, Martha. I mean, what what do readers need to know if they're thinking about buying it? What's the general storyline? Well, first of all, um, it's it's a thriller. It's meant to be kind of a page turner, and I've had a lot of people say, you know, I got halfway through, and then I had to like stay up all night reading. So that made me super happy. It's yeah. most of all, I just wanted to spin a great yarn that people would love. Um, but the other, literally about the reader, um, it's about the divine feminine force that's in everyone, male and female, so mostly women. But it's mainly everything in it is symbolic to me of a part of each individual. So there's, we each have like a disowned, um, humble, sort of rejected part of us that feels little and broken and lost. And that's in, that's one of the characters. And she grows up to be someone who doesn't really believe in herself very deeply who beats herself up, um, who who thinks she's probably not worth a lot except as a mom and somebody's girlfriend, but she doesn't even have a boyfriend. And from that place, she has to be, she has to awaken to her own real beauty and transcendence and importance of the, the essential um, beauty and necessity of each individual person on this earth she has to wake up to that so it's about how you go from being really at the bottom of the heap she's a baby born to someone nobody knows where left on a trash heap in los angeles um but she happens to be the mathematical average physically the mathematical average of every female on earth as the book opens so she's every woman and in some ways every man and she has to realize that she is um, that she is precious, that she is infinitely good, that she has infinite capacities, 
And the whole book is about, hmm, how do you get a person from feeling that broken to being awake to their own magnificence? Mm-hmm. And and so the book is designed to be a thriller, but to hook you in and wake you up to your own magnificence as you read through it. Oh, yeah. And I, I felt that. And it's really interesting because you can read the book, and it's just really an entertaining read as a fiction novel. But it has incredible depth. Um, it's absolutely rich with metaphor. And so what do the listeners need to know as they approach the book about metaphor in it? Well, first of all, that everything is, it's what my daughter calls a psychography or a book that is about the inside of someone's head. (laughs) And for that reason, it goes to some extremes. It goes to extremes of self-loathing. It goes to extremes of accepting violence and and attack because a lot of people with low self-esteem attack themselves that violently or end up in relationships where they accept being attacked. Um, It's so any place in your life where you are not, where you're selling yourself short, I hope you'll find it in the book. And and then it shows, she has a, a guide who shows up at a certain point in the book, which is part of the hero's journey, that the, the hero embarks on the journey and then encounters the magical helper. And I really believe we have magical helpers, sometimes in the form of other people, sometimes it's an animal. Sometimes it's just a sense of a spiritual presence, but we have magical helpers. And she, we all, as you read that, realize that everything that happens to this woman is happening to you in some way. And the way she gets out of it is what I know from 30 years of coaching thousands of people. And I hope you can just jump on for the ride and find yourself being pulled into a sense of your own beauty. And importance. Yeah, and and part of that for her to be able to be pulled into that was her life had to fall apart. Um, mm-hmm. And so if this is a text for kind of moving toward that wilder, freer, more magical self, what do, what do our listeners need to know about falling apart? Because it seems like it's something that's very resisted in our culture. It is. It's not supposed to happen in our culture. It, we have a, a linear culture where you're supposed to start sort of unformed and not too impressive and then get more impressive as you grow older and like you die with the most toys you win Hmm. Um, in traditional cultures it's more like the cycle of the seasons where you go through phases of like every winter the trees shed their leaves they fall apart and then in in the spring a new beautiful coat of leaves appears on that tree Uh, another metaphor that I use a lot is a uh, caterpillar mm-hmm. that caterpillars don't just grow wings and longer legs they go into those cocoons and they dissolve into a liquid and when the liquid is completely disaggregated the cells restructure themselves into a butterfly so if you're trying to force the caterpillar not to fall apart you'll never get a butterfly so what you need like after the Orlando shootings you know that's a shock Mm-hmm. And a lot of people needed a cocoon, a safe space to talk, to process that, and to fall apart a little bit because it's so heartbreaking and frightening. And as you fully fall apart in a protected space, you allow a miraculous transformation into something that can accommodate that kind of suffering and fear and violence and still be able to fly and still be even more beautiful than the caterpillar that went in. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and the the struggle of the caterpillar coming out is a necessary part to getting yeah, it. Yeah, the butterfly is it cuts its way out of the cocoon. It's hard, and the, the butterfly is very vulnerable at that point. It can't fly. But if you help it, if you cut the cocoon to let it out, it will die. And it's only by struggling to emerge that it gets the strength to live. Right. And, you know, if you if you guys, since we've mentioned the Orlando shooting, if you guys want to hear more about um, Martha and how you can deal with this, she recorded a beautiful video on Facebook yesterday with Maria Shriver. Just go to Martha's Facebook page and you can see that and she'll give you more tools on how to deal with some of the traumas that you may be experiencing in your life or that we're experiencing as a country right now. Um, so right. I highly recommend that. Um, yeah, so so then your life falls apart, um, but there's also, while you're in that place, you may be attacked by what you call the Furies. Um, can you tell? Right. Yeah. So tell our listeners, what are the Furies and, and how, as humans, do we need to deal with them? Well, it's borrowed from, like, ancient um, Mediterranean cultures, this idea that inside the mind there is a part of you that attacks yourself. And Clarissa Colastes and women who been with the wolves, that you put everything, this beautiful banquet, you make a beautiful banquet of everything you have and, and everything you are, and then theories come and they poop on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you create a beautiful home, and then you see somebody's home that's nicer than yours, and you're like, my home is poop. Oh, no. <laughs> or you write a book and then read a better book, my book is poop. And it's the part of you that's saying, I'm not good enough, you're, you're stupid, why did you do that? That um, self-attacking part is what I call the fury. Okay. And so then when you're experiencing this, when the furies are screaming at tip-top volume and you're in the middle of a tailspin, what do we do with those? Well, the first thing you do is let the spinning stop, get some space, get some, get a cocoon. I mean, let's do it in real time. So if okay. you, do you have a fury, what do you, you furies say? What do my furies say? Yeah. Oh goodness. Well, let's let's pick the top ten tunes. Um, I would say that um, I'm a fraud. Okay, I'm a fraud. Mm-hmm. That's super up for almost everyone. The theories they say things. Mm-hmm. Mostly, you're fat. You're old. You're a fraud. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, in my the concept is that the reason it screams so loudly is it's trying to get your attention because it wants you to notice that it's causing suffering and that therefore it is not ideal for you. It's not the truth. So the opposite, the direct opposite of whatever feels most painful inside you is the next thing you are trying to awaken to. So if you're a fraud, the opposite of that would be you're authentic. You're completely authentic. Mm-hmm. If you can find a way you, funny, mm-hmm. um, find a way in which you are authentic. Find 10 ways. Okay. okay. Force your mind to go to that. Yeah. I mean, you can't, people listening to this can't, they're not going to be fooled by an imposter. Yeah. You show up as the authentic self yeah. on the show. Where else do you show up in authenticity? Yeah, got it. And with that evidence, you're building those new neural pathways to support a new story. Yeah. Yeah. The furies are just a neural pathway that you keep reinforcing. And if you force yourself to look at the opposite, you'll find it is the path forward. 
Got it. And that's why so you it's not just random. It's always the doorway to awakening. The furies are always screaming right at the doorway to your next step in awakening. Yeah, yeah, that's how I guess we wouldn't really listen if it, we weren't in suffering. So Exactly. They're meant for a much higher purpose than what they might seem. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so the for those of you out here who don't have a copy of the book yet, there's a wonderful guide at the back of the book um, for these seven um, seven tasks, and it's these it's called the guide to bewilderment in the back of the book, and it encompasses these seven tasks that are a part of awakening. And um, yeah. it's of course they're threaded throughout the narrative of the book, but the resource guide in the back is just a beautiful way that you can distill it down and you can practice these tasks. And I'm curious, Martha, you know, it's it's a guide to bewilderment. Why bewilderment? I pronounce it be wilder. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for example, you're taught growing up as a woman, you're supposed to be thin, you're supposed to look this way, you're supposed to be nice, you're supposed to... And that may or may not be who you actually are. If you were wild, if you were a wild animal, those, you wouldn't be striving to be something other than you are. You know, they're just wild animals don't fit that way. So when you lose the cultural absolutes and standards and become wild, mm-hmm. that's the same thing as awakening because it's just going to a deep truth about your own nature. Like, what am I really in my heart, in my soul? And the full expression of that is what you're meant to, to arrive at in this. That's why wilderment. And then the, the process is just because... God, gosh darn it, I am a self-help author. <laughs> he couldn't resist. Of course, yeah. And as I've heard you say, you know, these are some of the most powerful tools for transformation that you've ever put together and released. So this is, yeah. even if you have Martha's other work, this is this is just the culmination of it all in my mind from reading it. Um, and, you know, there is, within the book, there are some intense moments. There are some things that are pretty... Um, that that can be pretty difficult. I mean, what would you say to that, Martha, that you've included some of those intense scenes in there? Well, partly because um, we did such violence ourselves, but then you look at something like what happened in Orlando. I've coached people in Rwanda. I have coached people uh, who have been in, in prison, uh, heroin addicts on the streets, people who have been through some depths of human Violence that make them feel like they no longer belong, kind of like soldiers coming back to PTSD. And part of the healing adventure for humanity is to be able to look into the eyes of someone who's been through something really, really dark and dangerous mm-hmm. and say, you can heal from this. Mm-hmm. You can heal. You can still awaken. And in fact, because you've suffered so much, you're inviting in a light that is brighter than someone who hasn't suffered so deeply. You know, really all things are a fact of human existence and human history. You cannot leave those out mm-hmm. if you want to wake up to everything. Absolutely. Yeah, and so in, in talking about waking up, so there are these seven tasks. Um, do you mind well, if we just talk about, I think it's the, the, it's the core foundation, um, this first task about calming fear. Can you tell our listeners yeah. about that? How, how do we calm fear to be able to live sanely as humans and as well as, as uh, build upon with the other six tasks that you include? Right. The base of everything is to choose between fear and not fear. 
So to choose fear means you go into a defensive action. You look at all the danger in the world. You contract and you live constantly of defensive. Defend yourself. So, but in you know in the biblical phrase, there is no fear in love. Mm-hmm. For perfect love casts out all. Love cast does not mean sort of dissolves. To cast means to pick up fear and throw it away. Yeah. If you're going to be in love, you say you look at fear, look at death in the eye and say, I I choose not to let you rule my life. I will let love rule my life. And a lot of psychologists boil all emotion down into either approach, which is love, avoidance, which is fear. So that's the basic thing you have to decide. Are you going to follow love or are you going to follow fear? Because you can't follow both at once. Yeah. Getting to a place where you can be calm, and that doesn't mean all your life means, you know, I meditate every morning, and for those, for that hour, hour and a half, I have to be quite calm sitting there. I don't have to be afraid because ultimately it's just me sitting there, mm-hmm. and that's okay. If right now everybody listening to this is either standing, sitting, or lying horizontal, and it's okay right now. So if you can just come into the present moment and say, you know, I may have cancer, I don't know, but right now it's just me sitting in a chair, and I can lift that. I don't need to be afraid right now. Right. When you're not afraid, you can move on to the rest of the awakening, but if you stuck in fear, you get what we've always had in the world, people just killing each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's the fundamental part the task of awakening is to to come home to the present and be free from fear in this moment. Yeah, we did that in book club this week, going through that, the process of calming the fear, and it was really, really nice. So I, that first task, primary component (laughs) to all Yeah, I mean, you're you're basically 90% of the way home. You can just do that. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been talking here with Martha Beck today about her newest book, Diana Herself, An Allegory of Awakening, and I promise that book giveaway, we are giving away a free hardcover copy of this beautiful book um, that she painted the cover um, herself. Uh, So I highly recommend um, calling in today to see if you can win this free copy, and the number is 888-298-5569, 888-298-5569. Uh, first person to call in will get their free copy of Martha's newest book. Um, so we've been talking about the seven tasks. And, you know, something that, that I've just heard you talking about that is um, moving on to something that I just wanted to address. Um, you've talked about village building a lot recently. And, uh, you know, I, I love the phrase that comes up in the book, all for all, always. Tell us about why village building is important now more than ever in this all for all always concept. Well, we've always we've already talked about fractals, and one of the things that happens. This is a book about awakening an individual, but immediately when you awake, it realize that you are part of an interconnected web of love that is the the biosphere, all the life in the world, and so. Um, you can't truly love yourself without loving everything, without loving everyone. So there's a certain experience she has. Spoiler alert! I don't want to give it away. But, um, it's the experience of living it with awakened others, so that there is so much honesty, so much love, and love of others 
that it, you almost begin functioning as an organism instead of as separate individuals. And I have experienced this on my ranch, like, and in Africa, I just got from Africa, and the people who come for the seminars like you came, the coaches that are there, there's so much honesty in self that it overflows into love of everyone, and there's something absolutely magical, we call it the intelligence of life, that is just weaving between everyone, making sure that what serves me also serves you. And it is, it's the sweetest magic, and it is the, it's the, it's a human magic, to be able to come together that intimately, even in large groups. But I don't think it's been largely practiced. Like Eckhart Tolle talks about this as a new that we would that's how we function if we're all awake. Mm-hmm. And the first comes around you is a small group of people that I call your village, mm-hmm. and then that begins to fract to large forms and different villages, all beautiful, all similar, all unique. Yeah. And that also reminds me of hearing you talk about the, you know, as this is the first book in a trilogy, um, is that the kind of the evolution of the next, the, the books as they'll go, as it starts yeah. out? Uh, do you mind talking, sp- telling, give oh, us I'm, a little bit of a teaser I'm for what so, we can look I'm forward so to? This. <laughs> so the first book is about the liberation and the awakening of the divine feminine. The next one's about the awakening of the divine masculine, which is actually more trapped in our culture. The, even women, women get torn apart by conflicting demands, pulled away from their families, away from the out of doors, away from adventure and made for. And they're being put into jobs are their only identity, and now jobs are disappearing. So men are in space right now, not all of them, but a lot of them. And as a sociologist, I still think sociologically, so I'm like, ooh, men are in a real crunch. And it's one who stop, who can out men, the freedom to seek themselves, the freedom um, to belong. So women have that connection because for the givers and the caretakers. Men can be incredibly isolated in our culture. So, I mean, again, looking at the Shanghai culture in Africa where I go, so much more inclusive, so much more integration of everyone with everyone. And I come back here, and men are just taken away from the everything natural and become caught in the machine industry, and it, it, it's a living death for many of them. So that's got to change. And so the, next, the hero of the next is a man, and he's, he's not, like, thrown away, but he's stuck in the structures of wealth and power, but he's dying inside, and it's the feminine that has to show up and set him free. So it's kind of the opposite of the, the princess in the tower. Yeah. This is the, the man is in the house of a Manhattan skyscraper. He's trapped, and then he has to wake up. Yeah. And so the, the Diana character from the first book is ultimately the one who, her, her next to awaken others, and he's one of them. I'm having so much fun with it. I can imagine, and it, I loved, you know, I was at the gathering in Austin and hearing you speak about this and just what we can do as um, kind of an offshoot from what you're writing about, what we can do to support the men in our lives when things, um, to help them get out of the man cage 
Uh, right. Yeah, I just I loved hearing you talk about that because I think, of course, I love that we're in the middle of the rise of the divine feminine. But I think I like the idea of joining the men and us, everyone working together to bring oh, the new consciousness. Yeah. Divine feminine, mother's everything, loves everyone, brings everything into nurturing and warmth and love. So absolutely not even the divine men would not dream of abandoning the masculine <laughs> you know it's, it's not woman over man it's all for all always yeah yeah absolutely yeah and, and, and as i'm sitting here sarah's just given me our book winner who uh congratulations suzanne um from bothell who won Ooh. the book today Woohoo! Ooh. yay you will love this book <laughs> suzanne and just this it's something that you can put out on your coffee table it's so beautiful um, so as I look at the time, I want to make sure everybody has the information to get in touch with Martha. Um, if you liked what you heard today and you want to learn more, you can go to MarthaBeck.com. Her email address is info at MarthaBeck.com. Um, and you can purchase the book, Diana Herself, An Allegory of Awakening, on Amazon.com. Um, and Martha, you, you started your own boutique publishing company to put this book out into the world. How did that go down? <laughs> I did. Um, when I published um, a book. I went to my it was with Random House Crown Books and the imprint of Random House and I went to Fifth Avenue and I got the whole dream like my dreams came through. I went up this skyscraper with a different imprint on every level and was wined and dined and paid attention to the publishing industry and it was it was amazing and now I go there as a skeleton crew because this was before the internet right? Yeah. The whole infrastructure scrapers full of editors and marketers publishers and then truck drivers and booksellers and all these and people make paper like all of it was necessary to get thoughts in my head into the reader's head yeah. like tell the story now I can literally do that by writing a blog and pressing one button and it can go as many people as it can go to an infinite number of people the entire, it's like when the music fell apart because suddenly songs were easily available. The same thing has been happening in publishing. And um, I we can't fight to keep the old system. It's kind of broken. And I was like, no, I don't want to kill any more trees than necessary. And um, people are kind of getting desperate to sell books because people are getting their information online. And I thought, you know, here I coach all these people and I tell them, you can follow your own North Star. If you're working in a big corporate job killing you, go out, you know, and find something that you can do, especially with new technologies, that will allow you to live adequately, but enjoy. And it just felt so joyful for me to say, you know, I want, I want to do this. I want to make this myself. I don't want to go through the system that is breaking down. And so, you know, I put this book together, and it, it compared to a skyscraper, right, full of people. And a lot of people in publishing are sad about it, but I think there will always be books, and they, were always, they will always be beautiful. But we've got to learn how new technologies will allow us to tread more lightly on the earth. Yeah. I'm and this is my attempt to do that. Well, I'm so glad you did. It's very exciting because it's such an inspiration to the rest of the folks out there who are considering doing the same thing themselves. Um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. 
Yeah, and just so you guys know, if you want to connect with Martha this summer, she will be doing Seduction of Spirit with Deepak Chopra. And that oh, will yeah. be in July. Yeah. Super fun. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to learn more, just go to Chopra.com, go to their programs page, and it's the Seduction of Spirit in July 2016. So you can uh, meet up with Martha, and that's in, in California, Martha? Uh-huh. I think it's in Carlsbad. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. And um, also, don't forget, folks, if you like what you heard today and you are ordering a copy of the book and you want to participate in a book club, there are book clubs going on all across the nation, and you can find one in your area by going to the Martha Beck website, which is MarthaBeck.com. Just go to the events page, and there is a comprehensive listing of all of the book clubs that are kicking off next week. Now, of course, we've been doing ours in Seattle for a couple of weeks already, but it's not too late to join. Just um, if you want to join the Seattle Book Club go to eastwestbookshop.com and you can register there. But I encourage you guys to go find a book club. It's not just discussing the book. These are transformative coaching tools. These are coaches who are running the book clubs. Um, so go out and find one. Um, and yep, then, they're all trained. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've had some fun calls on that and we've got some guidelines to go by. And it's just, it's been so much fun so far. So I really encourage Yay. you guys to do that. And, um, yeah, so as we're we're getting right to the top of the hour, I just want to mention, folks, join us next week. I will be having, of course, more Martha Beck coaches, but it's Chris Marie Campbell <laughs> and Susan Clark in the studio, which is always a special treat. Wow. Yeah, they are coaches in Martha's community, and they are going to help us learn how to turn conflict into creativity. Um, so, Martha, we've got just about 30 seconds left on the show. Do you, what final message can you leave with our listeners? It's been just such a pleasure, such an honor, and a joy to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What, what should our listeners know? <laughs> I would just say, if anything in your heart tells you that you are meant to have a wild and wonderful and thrilling and fulfilling future, that thing is right, no matter what your life looks like right now that thing is waiting to wake up and you can start waking it up today and you can do that by buying diana herself reading it and getting the inspiration um you guys have a wonderful weekend thank you for joining sunny in seattle i was here today with martha beck go out and enjoy that weekend and get inspired